Welcome to this podcast, recorded live at the Junction Church, Aberdeen. We pray this message inspires and encourages you. For more information, you can connect with us at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Uh, we're going to start just in prayer. I just want to cover this in prayer. This is an amazing morning, a great opportunity where we're going to see five people make such a, a, a great stand in their faith. And so we'll just join with me in prayer right now. God, we just thank you, Lord, that you have brought all of these people here today, that we come in celebration of what these five precious people have decided to do. We pray that, Lord, your, your glory just be displayed to you, your presence just come around us, God, that we are transformed by what you want to do today, that we are received the revelation that you have for us on this day. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Amen, amen. I am, uh, as I look at the uh, baptism birthing pool, uh, <laughs> over here I'm reminded of a, a bit of advice that I gave the uh, people who came along on Thursday night for baptism training. Uh, a very important piece of advice that I am now painfully aware I have completely and utterly disregarded, not to wear skinny jeans <laughs> when you go in there, because when they get wet... You're probably going to need to call the paramedics to cut you out of them afterwards. <laughs> but I feel okay about it because I know that I'm doing it with Chaz. He's a big lad. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't mind pulling them off for me, would you? You'd do that? You'd pull them off, wouldn't you? There'd be nothing awkward about that, would there? Oh, there would be awkward. All right, okay. Oh, well, let's get on with the message then. Uh, to this morning, I really want to uh, just explore just what baptism is. I, I want to give almost like a, a definition, a clarifying of what it is, because it is an aspect of our faith that, that we often, I think, struggle to reconcile. Uh, there's misunderstanding that comes all around baptism. We, we can often get a little bit caught up with the, uh, the ceremony and the tradition of it, uh, much, much like we do with uh, other aspects of faith, like uh, communion and, and tithing. We, 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 are, we are in danger sometimes of interpreting them as, as religious acts. We see them as religious acts sometimes, and, and it's difficult to relate the rest of your faith, everything that's brought you here today to something that's kind of religious. In a sense, what I mean by that is when you exchange the grace for a rule. Like that's a difficult thing to relate because it seems contrary to, to everything that we've learned, that, that we would, everything is about grace, but there are some rules. And, and, and that's not, that is a perception that it masks the kingdom-building principle at the heart of baptism. There is something that is, it disguises what God's intention was when he asked us and created us and led us into that place of baptism. And I, I want to take us right back to when Jesus came uh, and got baptized. So if you turn with me to Matthew 3, and we'll start in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. Now this is, we're going to continue with that, but this is a curious thing. Because of all the people... Jesus had no sin, so he had no sin that needed to be washed away, and yet he insisted on being baptized. 
How in faith we experience forgiveness. We are not, and that, that's what we have to remember. When, when, when we come into faith, when we come into relationship with God, when we ask him into life, all based on faith, that is something that is not reliant on any symbolism. It's not reliant on a religious exercise. So our forgiveness that we experience, that, 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 that alleviation, that absolution that we receive from God, it isn't contingent on a religious exercise. In, in Hebrews 10 verse 22 it says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. In other words, it's like we can come to the Father with a clear conscience because we have an assurance. We are sure that faith has made us whole. Faith has made us right. Christianity is that conversion from depending on religious exercise to living by faith. You see, our relationship with God, it is, it is predicated on one of two schools of thought. One being religion, in that we attempt to qualify for God's forgiveness. We attempt to qualify for his relationship. We try to fulfill all of the laws so that, so that we are acceptable to God. And the other, way is, the other one is faith, where we simply accept him by Jesus. And that is what, that's, that's the definition of Christianity, is that we are accepted, we accept God by Jesus, by what Jesus did on the cross. Sin is what separates us from God, and it is faith alone that overcomes that obstacle. So just as Jesus' purity was not contingent on baptism, we have to remember that, that neither is ours. That is not, that is not what our, that's not what's brought us here today. The guys who are going to come in here today and baptize, it's not that they go in with a heart that's like, oh, I, I feel incomplete. I feel like there's this stuff on my conscience that I need to have washed off. That's not why they're going in there today. That stuff has already been dealt with. That stuff has been dealt with 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross. Their, their salvation is not contingent upon baptism. God's, Jesus's. Uh, Jesus' uh, fulfillment of righteousness was not a fulfillment of some sort of lack of purity. That wasn't why he wanted to do it. What, what baptism did show in Jesus was a readiness, a readiness, a willingness to comply with all of God's righteous will. His insistence. You have to see, when he insisted to, to John the Baptist, it wasn't... It wasn't like a devotion to some quaint rite of passage. That wasn't, that wasn't what drove him in that. It was something far deeper. Because he recognized he was the planner. He was the architect in this fresh expression of God's redemptive heart that was about to be released upon the world. And it was this detail that flummoxed John. Flummoxed is a great word. It is what it sounds like. And John was flummoxed by this because he was still looking at righteousness as this measurement of purity. He was looking at it as this thing where I don't measure up to this man. Like Jesus wants to, me to baptize him, but I am not qualified to baptize Jesus because my righteousness or my purity, or my uh, lack of 
uh, or, or, or my sin precludes me. It disqualifies me from being able to take that. But John didn't realize something. Yet, he came to realize it. That fulfilling righteousness is about love. It is love that fulfills righteousness. Because it is fulfilling the only thing that is left. When we go in there, everything has been dealt with. Everything internally, everything on the inside, every... uh, Everything that holds us back, everything that puts us down, everything that constrains us, everything that, uh, that tells us we're not good enough, that has been dealt with on the day that we receive Christ. Every single one of those things is done. It is settled. It is that question has been answered. The fulfilling of righteousness is the answer of love. It's the response of love. It is fulfilling the cry of the lost, answering it. Answering the cries of those unreconciled to God. So if we continue in Matthew 3, starting again at verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. We often miss this, right? But this is such a pivotal moment in the Bible. It's actually Christ's baptism evokes this convergence of all three entities of the Holy Trinity at once. Every single one of them, all three of them are revealed at that moment. It's a bit like when you're getting baptized and your whole family turns up. Like today. (laughs) Father, proud, taking photos. That is my son. That's my son who I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit helper. Who's got the towels? (laughs) (laughs) But what we see there, and what is so important to realize is, we see, maybe for the first time, what has been there all along. Mm. We see this perfect alignment of the Trinity. We see the perfect alignment of Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit. All three of them. Now, they were always aligned, but in that moment, in that time where all of them represent themselves at exactly the same time, in exactly the same moment, it tells us something powerful is about to happen. We see the Father confirming the Son to be mediator. We see the Son Answering his calling. We see the Holy Spirit resting upon the Son. Poised to be ministered to his people. It's this perfect alignment. Something that is just about to be unveiled. This manifestation is the start of something new. It is the unveiling. It is the unveiling of what they have planned for humanity. It is what they have planned and they all stand and confirm that to the world. That out of Christ, God is a consuming fire, but in Christ, he is a reconciled father. That is what has been released. Jesus, through him, all of the endeavors, all of the, the things that we put our heart towards, they are acceptable 
They become acceptable to God because he is the altar that sanctifies every gift. In the Bible, it talks about spiritual sacrifices. And those are the sacrifices that, you know, and life is full of sacrifices. Life is full of times where we have to sort of give over what maybe we prefer to do. And there's, there's materialistic things where, where we'll sometimes sort of put something aside and, 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 and not dwell on it. But, but the spiritual sacrifice, the true sacrifice is a sacrifice that is modeled on the heart of Jesus. It is when we, put, when we make offerings on behalf of others. That, that is what a spiritual sacrifice, that is a sacrifice that is in true keeping, in true heart with what Jesus would do. It's the offering that is made on behalf of another. In 1 John 3.16, the lesser known John 3.16 actually, but still is potent. This is how we know what love is. I want to know what love is. (laughs) Deep down inside. Jesus laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. See, we are, we are called to be mediators, intercessors between each other and God. There is a void in, between humanity and God from birth. And it is our place, it is our calling to bridge that gap. To stand in between. To be those that introduce the lost, to God Almighty, Father God. And this requires a shift on the inside. It requires this shift where we turn from the self-serving to the servant-hearted. In, in Mark 12, it's, uh, Jesus says, love others as you love yourself. Love others as you love yourself. See, the nature of man is to Put themselves first. That's just our default. We will look for what is most convenient, most comfortable, most advantageous to ourselves first. To protect our interests before another's. But we are challenged in that time. We are challenged by God to place that priority that we would put upon ourselves and place it on another. That importance that we put upon our own life and our own ambitions and our own desires, that we would take that priority and we would allow it to rest upon another's life. Consider it like this. When Jesus came out of the Jordan after he'd been baptized, it wasn't just the first act of his public life. But it was also the last act of his private life. He left his private life behind. If you think about, because it's not like it's the very first thing that happens in the gospel. If you think about, for instance, when, uh, when Mary and Jesus went to a wedding and they ran out of wine. And Mary decides it would be a good idea if Jesus fixed that problem. What is Jesus' response in John 2? Woman. Imagine speaking to your mother like that. (laughs) Woman. Woman. My mother's over there. (laughs) Only dare doing it from a stage. (laughs) Woman. Why do you involve me? 
my hour has not yet come. He was still in that private life. And I have to take a bit of a side here. It's kind of a strange thing that they run out of wine and Mary, her first impulse is, I know a guy who could fix that. Like, I know great, lots of great people in faith, but if people ran out of wine at a wedding, I would never turn to them and think, oh, they could fix it. Like, to me, there's definitely a backstory there. Like, like many years before, that like, Joseph comes home late from work and, and is met at the door by a visibly angry Mary. Oh, I see that you haven't picked up the milk on the way home. Like I asked a hundred times. Oh, well, you know, the car was put away before I got there. And Jesus, child Jesus, sensing the imminent eruption of the Virgin Mary, (laughs) attempts to defuse the situation. You know, Mum, if you've still got the empty bottle. (laughs) That's how it happened. But the point is this, that that all of that stuff, everything up to that point, up to him stepping into the the Jordan to be baptized, all of that was private. Miracles, without a doubt. But private, hidden in the crowd. The sign of God's kingdom advancing is the stepping forward of his people from the crowd. If we read John... 3, 5. Jesus answered, most assuredly, most assuredly, it means he means it, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, just to give a bit of context there in John 1, John the Baptist says, I baptize with water, he baptizes with the Holy Spirit, speaking of Jesus. So we're talking about baptism in this moment. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Once again, for a bit of context, in Luke 17, 21, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is within you. That's what it is. It's within you. So the kingdom begins with the work of his spirit within our lives, within our relationships. It is evident in our actions. That's what the kingdom of God, the advancing of the kingdom of God, the stepping out of the kingdom of God is as it is translated into our actions, as to what we do, what can be seen. If I continue from a little bit further down in, uh, in verse 14, and they're still talking about this. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the, king, uh, must the son of man be lifted up. Once again, to give a bit of context, because that sounds like a, a weird thing to say, Earlier on in in, uh, Numbers 21, there's this account of when the Israelites are out in the wilderness. And they are under God's covering. They are under his protection. They are his sanctified people set aside. And yet, they are acting about as opposite of that as you possibly could. They are introducing all number of sin. They are disregarding, dishonoring God at every turn. And God sends uh, a plague of snakes, and the snakes bite them. And, and as they're sort of, uh, as, as the Israelites are in pain and the, they, they feel the sort of the throes of death upon them, he tell, God tells Moses, take all the bronze 
melt it down and make a bronze serpent and hold it up. And then, as the people turn towards it, as they turn away from what brought them here, from the sin that they've allowed to corrupt them, as they turn to me, they will receive the forgiveness. They will receive the the healing. They will receive life. So that's what that means. Even so, must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The Son of Man must be lifted up. See, Moses wasn't the saviour. God was the saviour. But it took a man to uphold that sign of redemption. God had needed a man to stand up and represent the healing, the forgiveness and the redemption to those who were lost. To those who were lost in sin. See, baptism is, is for the benefit of the world around you. For us to publicly express his grace. It signifies our journey has turned from an internal pursuit to an external one. From a place of private faith to a public faith. That's what it is. That's the, the transformation. That's what it signifies. That's the choice. What God has performed in us isn't finished. It isn't fulfilled until it is ministered into the lives of those around us. That's why baptism is misunderstood, because we see it as this higher form of attaining a greater perfection, rather than realizing it is our, from that point, we minister the change that we have just presented to those around us. Unabashedly standing up, being visible to those around us. It reminds me of that, that story, that, that true story that probably we all know here today. That story of uh, this, this group, this assorted group of characters, of personalities, all coming together uh, with this one focus, this one intention, this one purpose. Uh, they, 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 they have a child in their lives and, and all they want to do is protect that child and, and, and look out for that child and be there for that child. Uh, but the crazy thing is they're really small and they, they live in his bedroom and, and he really loves them. But sometimes he's not even sure uh, if they're real or not. You're all looking at me with blank faces. You've all heard it before. It's, it's a true story. No. Toy story. It's toy story. Toy Story is what I meant. Silly goose. I've seen Toy Story like a thousand times. All of them. And the thing I've noticed is that they're all the same film. They're all exactly the same film because they have the same tension within them all. It's relationship. There's this tension in the relationship. We see different aspects of it in the different films. We see how relationships are interrupted, how the dynamics of them change when you introduce new people. You, we see how relationships fluctuate, how they, how they change when, 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 when we perceive that, that perception of what's in fashion, out of fashion, what's cool, what's not cool, how, how they fluctuate, and yet they can always be redeemed. And, and then also there's, there's how relationships, they have seasons, and that those that we might have relationships as children, that they sometimes pass away, that they sometimes lose that importance. And the interesting thing about the films is, 
there's like this juxtaposition where Andy is the child and the toys are his, they're his toys, and yet they have the perspective of adults. They have this maturity to them. And so, although they don't sort of, they don't hold any authority over him, they're not parental in any shape or form, they just want to be around him to communicate something. And they recognize that while his whims and fancies, how he comes and goes, they have a responsibility. They have a calling to be there for him. They inhabit totally different worlds. And yet they serve this child that's been entrusted to them. Communicating joy. Communicating belonging. Even though there's this massive disconnect between their worlds. Constantly speaking of, there's this constant theme whereby they're like, we need to be there for him. We have to, even, we have to be there for when he comes back. And this, the crisis in all the films is this, is that they have all of these opportunities to go and do something else, to be somewhere else, to be someone else's, that would be better for them. This idea that they're, they have the opportunity that they could go and do something that would put them in a better situation, and yet they come back to this idea constantly that we have to be there for him. He has to see us. When he comes back, he needs to know that we are there. While everything else might shift and change, we have to communicate belonging to him. We have to uh, communicate that we will be there regardless. And that's what I mean. Like We are called to be visible. To present ourselves to the world as a testimony of unconditional love. That others might know of the hope that's found in Christ. That we can lift those around us out of sorrow into joy. Baptism represents the choice to no longer remain silent. To no longer remain hidden. But to reveal the salvation that we have experienced to the world around us. To relate it to one another. Not not as an abstract idea. Not as some sort of doctrinal argument. But as the testimony of what he has done in our lives. Something fully realized before them. I am who I am because of him. Thanks for joining with us. For more information about events, service times and how to connect with us, visit www.thejunctionchurch.com.